Welcome to another Lenten devotional as we journey with Reverend Steve Petty, my father, in his Lenten devotional series, A Talk with Peter, uh, where he goes through week by week, a different day on the journey in Holy Week until you get to Easter. So this week, I invite you to ponder what it looks like for us to put aside our own prejudices, for us to uproot those prejudices, and what it looks like when Jesus encounters the fig tree in today's passage. Last of all, if you like our content, I really encourage you to subscribe at patreon.com slash churchforgamers. You can become a patron, and if you give more than a certain amount, uh, we'll even mention your subscription here on the podcast. I just want to thank everybody for your patronage, and thank you for helping us make great content like this, and to reach more people with God's love. Walk with Jesus, Class 3, Monday of Holy Week. After Palm Sunday, Jesus returned to Bethany, presumably the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, where he often stayed. On Monday, we find him returning to Jerusalem, though his mood is not as joyous as on Palm Sunday. Mark 11, 12-19. The next day, as we walked back to the temple, Jesus was hungry. He looked at a fig tree near the road, but as he approached it, he realized it had no fruit because it was out of season. Jesus said to the fig tree, If I can't have a fig to eat, then no one will eat a fig from you. We were dumbfounded at what he had said to a tree. When we came to the temple, Jesus saw all the money changers and merchants hawking their wares on the poor faithful pilgrims and it enraged him. He grabbed their tables and chairs and flung them to the ground, and he stood guard over them, allowing no one to conduct business in the temple. He said to them, God's word says, My house is a house of prayer, built for the people of all nations. But this is not prayer. This is robbery. The temple priests were very upset at all this, and they continued to look for a way to kill him because They were afraid of the power he had over the crowds who were so spellbound by him. But Jesus held his ground until late in the day when we returned to Bethany. Monday in the Other Gospels As we compare our Gospels, there is only one similarity. Mark and Matthew tell the story of the poor fig tree. But there are differences. In Matthew, Jesus curses the tree and it immediately withers. Jesus teaches them about faith, mountains thrown into the sea. In Luke, there is no fig tree on Monday. John goes off entirely on his own here talking about a virtual second baptism event, a message about walking in the light, and ends with Jesus going into hiding. The Curious Day Jesus is hangry. He is walking back 
to the temple. Maybe he is thinking, didn't I just do this yesterday? But here he is, walking from Bethany to Jerusalem again. He knows he will not be welcome. Things will be difficult at best. He isn't really sure what he will do, but he knows the priests will not be happy to see him, and there will be some kind of confrontation. He is just a bit on edge. Along the route, he spies a fig tree and stops to look, hoping to find some fruit to fill his savage hunger and maybe calm his nerves. But there is no fruit. The tree has disappointed him. To the amazement of his disciples, who expect Jesus to almost always be in control of his emotions and his words, Jesus curses the poor fig tree. Then with a scowl that frightens the followers, he resumes his ascent to the temple. When the group finally arrives at the temple, Jesus finds the priests are absent again. Have they just run away? Are they in hiding? Is this going to go on all week? What he does find are the money changers and merchants hawking their wares to the unsuspecting pilgrims. During Passover, it was common for pilgrims to come to the temple seeking absolution for their sins. They would need to purchase a sacrificial animal to pay for their sins. The purer the animal, the greater the cost. Plus, they must pay in temple coins. The Roman coins are impure and unacceptable. Money changers take a percentage for the privilege of making this exchange, and merchants raise their prices at Passover time. Jesus sees the poor country folk being robbed in this system of temple graft, and he is more than just hangry. Now he is enraged. These are his people. He has healed them, preached to them. Many he can call by name. He knows why they are here. He knows they seek atonement with a living God. But if they cannot afford the purest sacrifice for their sins, their offering will be insufficient in the eyes of the priests, and their sin will not be cleansed. This system of sliding-scale righteousness is not why the temple was built, but it is how the temple operates. Jesus sees the desire to be right with God burning in every heart. He has also seen the obsequious signs of wealth in the high priests, scribes, and Pharisees. These rich steal from the poor in the name of God. Jesus' righteousness boils over into blind rage, and he upsets the tables and chairs and will not let anyone set them back up. Now, this is a curious thing. There are lots of people around. One presumes there are lots of vendors, more than a couple money changers, not to mention the normal temple guards and the priests themselves. Yet not one of them lays a hand on him. No one confronts him on Monday. Is it his rage that fills him with fear? Is it his reputation as a healer that causes them to cower before his power? Is it simply his argument that this is supposed to be a house of prayer for all people, and they know they are a den of thieves, so their guilt freezes them into inaction? Peter, who was there, says it was the fear of the crowds who were transfixed by Jesus' teaching. On Sunday and Monday, the crowds are with Jesus, and the priests know that. When evening comes, he simply walks out and goes back to Bethany. Still 
still singing those old songs. How many years can a mountain exist before it is washed to the sea? Yes, and how many years can some people exist before they're allowed to be free? Yes, and how many times can a man turn his head pretending he just doesn't see? The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind. Blown in the Wind, 1962. Verse 2, Music and Lyrics by Bob Dylan. I am blessed in many wonderful ways. One is that the wonderful woman who shares my life over the past 51 plus years is a great cook. My only payment is to love her and wash the dishes. The dishes are a small price to pay for such sumptuous repasts. The pandemic changed many of our routines. Recently, I started playing music on the stereo as I find the stainless steel surface hidden underneath the remnants of the preparation process. The new music services make this kind of fun. Hey, Gertrude, play Aaron Copeland. And I can choose my favorite, the Third Symphony or Appalachian Spring or Rodeo. Hey, Beulah, play Dave Grusin movie themes. Or, hey, Thelma, play Billy Joel. Great fun. One night recently, we watched the evening news before dinner. Vladimir Putin decided he had the power to make a new nation-state, and tanks were preparing to roll into the Ukraine. Wars marching on. The federal courts found three men guilty of a hate crime in the killing of Ahmad Arbery. The trial of three officers who did nothing to stop the killing of George Floyd was sent to the jury. Nineteen officers in Austin, Texas, were indicted over the way they abused protesters after the George Floyd killing. That's the way it was. After dinner, as I stacked the dishes for cleaning, I said, Play Peter, Paul, and Mary. I needed some leaving on a jet plane or puff the magic dragon. But my surface chose a different set for me. Peter, Paul, and Mary sang... Where Have All the Flowers Gone by Pete Seeger, Blowing in the Wind by Bob Dylan, and If I Had a Hammer by Pete Seeger. I was transported back to an earlier age. In the early 1960s, I was part of a traveling camp for junior high boys run by the YMCA in San Diego, Caravan. We went on the road for a week in the summer. We had a couple vans, tents, sleeping bags, we traveled up the old 395 on the desert side, over Tioga Pass into Yosemite Valley, and then home. We camped out, we hiked, we fished, we climbed mountains. I read comic books to a bear. Oh, that's another story. In the evenings, a couple guys would break out their guitars. One guy had a banjo. We would roast marshmallows over the campfire, and we would sing. We would sing all those wonderful songs. Songs about building a better world without war, without prejudice, filled with love, acceptance, and freedom for all. There I was, hands in the dishwasher, singing like a kid at a campfire. At first, it was nostalgic, fond memories of good times and innocence and lost childhood friends. But when the flowers ended up on the graves, it got current. 
when Blowen got to the second verse above, it became poignant. Here we are, 160 years after the war to free the slaves, and the great-grandchildren of former slaves still do not feel as free as their white neighbors and friends. Here we are, over 100 years after the war to end all wars, and people still want to control their neighbors and grab for power and property with bullets and tanks and blood. Lots of blood. The systems that are supposed to guarantee equality, freedom, and peace are still overruled by the systems that want to subjugate one people to another. Systems that allow one person to have more opportunity for food and fortune than another person, merely because of the color of their skin or the place of their birth. It is easier to gloat than it is to grovel. It is hard to root out the endemic prejudice that has existed in our hearts for years and recognize it is based on our own ignorance and privilege. These are the powers that Jesus confronts on Monday. Power that abuses the less fortunate. Power that enriches the already rich. Power that keeps people from receiving atonement, even while promising them forgiveness for their sins. Jesus sees the evil of such corruption, and in a flash of anger and indignation, he throws the whole thing down. He knows that he cannot change it forever. He cannot stand guard forever. But he did what he could while he could. Jesus makes a compelling case that we are not doing enough today. Trayvon Martin was killed in February of 2012, 10 years ago. And after all the demonstrations, riots, property damage, arrests, and beatings, the only significant legislation to address racial injustice is the clamping down on teaching the causes and history of racism in America and the banning of books that make white people uncomfortable. I repeat, the systems that are supposed to guarantee equality, freedom, and peace are still overruled by systems that want to subjugate one people to another. The old songs are still relevant today. Monday is the day of indignation and anger. questions for contemplation. One, what gets your fire burning? What is the most likely to bring your indignation to the surface? Two, have you ever taken part in a march or rally or demonstration for a righteous cause? Three, when thinking of your own prejudices, what are the roots of those feelings? Four, how do those prejudices manifest themselves in your daily living or when you meet new people? Five, how do you pull up those roots in your own life that need to be pulled painfully out of your being? Lord, 
I don't like to think about these things. It fills me with stress, and I feel helpless to do anything. I cannot overturn the money changers. I do not have the crowds of Palm Sunday cheering me on. I am not Jesus. So forgive me, Lord, but I just want to be left alone. I promise not to hurt anyone. Can I go home now? Oh, Lord, I can't just turn away. Jesus is standing in my doorway with a table. Okay, I need to change. My heart needs to change. My thoughts need to change. I must become a follower of Jesus, not just a watcher. Change my heart, Lord. Make my heart stronger so that I can love other people more courageously. Help me. Heal me. Strengthen me. And send me. Lord, send me. I will help your people to be free. Amen. Amen.